Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Welcome to Law Librarian Conversations on Blog Talk Radio, the podcast about all things law library, legal bibliography, and the law library profession. Thanks for joining us. Yes, and welcome to uh, Blog Talk Radio, the Philly edition. Uh, we're live and we're on the road, um, which we've never been done before. And if you could see us now with the crowd standing around in the middle of the busy Philadelphia Convention Center, you would be amazed, folks. Um, whether you're listening live or whether you're, you've downloaded this on your um, iPhone, um, you know, from iTunes, it really is astonishing. And uh, just to give you a feel for the room, as people are walking by, um, Roger Skalbeck, my co-host, uh, ever faithful, ever trusted co-host, um, on my right, newly minted library director. Exactly. Happy to be Associate Dean for Library and Information Services and Associate Professor of Law at, at University of Richmond. Go started, Spiders. Started July 1, Go Spiders, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the Richmond Spiders. And then off to uh, Roger's right, my far right, yeah. my also ever-present, ever-faithful um, co-host, Marcia Doherty-Baker. Oh, and people are streaming in uh, to the audience. Marcia Doherty-Baker. Hello. Um, what's that? Yes. Hello. Yes. Uh, Marcia is our um, the Cirque director, Cirque supervisor at the University of Nebraska, Mighty Schmid Law Library, um, and I'm your co I'm your host, uh, Richard Leiter, director of the library at the University of Nebraska uh, College of Law, Schmid Law Library. I'm repeating myself probably, um, but we are uh, today. Um, this is our first um, uh, show of three. We'll be repeating this uh, three nights running. Uh, we hope to get uh, candid um, comments from uh, attendees and guests, vendors, and we're really fortunate today to, to lead off with a pretty important guest, um, David Perla. Your, um, your, David, your title is what, are you president or CEO um, or? President of Bloomberg BNA Legal and Bloomberg Law. There you go. So he is a very important uh, person. And um, he's taken time out of the uh, conference to come and uh, join us today. Um, and promised to give us some inside scoop, things to um, watch for in the exhibit hall and let us know some news about what's going on at BNA Bloomberg. Well, how's the best way to say the name of the company these days? Bloomberg BNA. Bloomberg BNA. Right. So what's up? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're really excited to be here. Uh, excited to be with a lot of my friends and colleagues back in Philadelphia, in particular. 
spent That's right. You went to Penn Law here. School, didn't you? I went to Penn undergrad, and I went to Penn Law. So it was uh-huh. really exciting right. to be back in Philadelphia. I think um, as you look at the, the trade show floor and you talk to people, you're really starting to see some themes that are, that are exciting um, for not only for the vendors, um, but, but for all of the librarians that are here. I had a chance to go to the, uh, the PLL event, the Private Law Library, and then also today to spend a lot of time with, with the academics, and tonight I'll go over to ALSIS. So when you, have, you were at the, the... And actually, why don't we invite um, Ed Walters to, to come on up and sit with Ed Walters, another VIP. Uh, and what is your title exactly at FastCase? I'm the CEO of FastCase. Okay. So we got dueling CEOs. You know, in fact, before we go any further, all right, talk so, about a question. And these are, uh, admittedly, they're meant to be vendor neutral uh, um, questions, so I won't say where they came from. Legal pursuits is what it is. Copyright 1986, and we thought we'd put you all in Copyright. the Copyright. <laughs> exactly, that's right. Um, this is, uh, thankfully, audio only here for the uh, guests at home. <laughs> Uh, so here's the first question. Uh, either one of you can take it. Um, what famous document did King John sign in 1215? Magna Carta. Excellent. All right. I got the layout. Come on. Yeah, that's Come on. the layout. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we have one to, one to nothing. That's right. So here's the free throw, perhaps. Um, what is the only kind of nest you can legally destroy in a California cemetery? Nest thermostat. Oh, oh. <laughs> I like it. This is 1986, though. I think you're preceding. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with the airy, having no idea. The swallows. The swallows. There we yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So how are we doing? We're doing all right. Okay. Keep going. So questions. Yes. So um, what are the themes? You said you you you're seeing yeah. some themes here. There's like a, I think there's a bunch of things. Rich, am I interrupting you? No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. So a bunch of themes, I think, uh, on on the private side, but a lot of the academics said the, said the same thing, that they, they would find it incredibly helpful to do the same sort of things. We did an innovation tournament, uh, and uh, not surprisingly, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of it comes down to workflow, which is wait, something wait. Ed and I think about. Uh, uh, innovation tournament? Yeah, we at, did. Where? So the, at the PLL Summit, oh, okay, yesterday morning, okay. there was an innovation tournament. And where that's when I called uh, Ed over. The, the PLL Summit, I walked by the, um, the rooms yesterday. It was packed. Every packed. time I've been to the Summit, it's been spectacular. Been I didn't spectacular. make it this year, but I've, I've loved it. And it's a great I had a, a great keynote from Eric Press, and then uh, Wharton Professor led us through a summit. But, you know, themes, workflow, uh, analytics. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, an interesting theme, particularly on the private side, that Ed and I live, is getting the librarian directly in front of the client. So the question that really came is that is is that an innovation, or is that merely something that everyone ought to aspire to as a as a as a good result for the client of a law firm? Do we? What yeah. do you all think? Do you think, like realistically, at firms with high-profile engagement, trying to win people over, cl- librarians should be in front of clients? And what would be a, sort of a successful situation in which that would happen? Well, so uh, I think the librarian as envisioned in the 1960s mm-hmm. will never get in front of the client. Okay. But the librarian of the future almost certainly will have to be. And the librarian of the future we imagine as you know, part uh, reference, but also part data scientists. Mm. There are skill sets that lawyers and law firms have, but usually data science is not among them. 
right? And you know, we all see it more and more. The needs of clients are much more data driven, and so it is. I think it's going to be the responsibility of you know professionals all across the enterprise to get more comfortable with data. But I think that's a role that's going to live much more naturally in the law library. So as you know, people like uh, Bloomberg VNA and Fastcase and others develop more analytic tools. Yep. Uh, they're going to be used by, I think, legal professionals across the enterprise. But I think they're going to find their natural home in the library. That's our hope. I think I think that's right. I'd, I'd layer on. I completely agree with that. Um, that 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 the way libraries ought to be going will have a role for being in front of the client. There are two areas where I think that will be challenging today. The first is in in the pitch. A couple of people suggested that that librarians be in the pitch. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's actually a good idea. I think there's a, there's a different skill set and competency. Plenty of lawyers shouldn't be in the pitch. Um, <laughs> the, the other the other area is if librarians and some of them do think of themselves this way. If they continue to think of themselves purely as research, that is not ideally situated to put in front of, of the client. So the way I think about it is if, if you view yourself that way, right, and if you're a hammer, you want everything to look like a nail, you will present to the client as if everything's a research problem or, um, or a research opportunity when in fact Ed got it right. If you think about it as data and information and how you can help a lawyer practice, whatever that lawyer does, whatever her practice is or his practice is, then the, the librarian of the future can be very valuable in front of the client and otherwise. I mean, there's firms like, like SafeArt that's coming out with things where, you know, you have burgeoning and growing areas for titles like, you know, legal solutions architect and, and legal knowledge sort of engineer, those kind of things. I see that as an interesting potential direction for some of these librarians of the future to be engaged in. There's two challenges, though. One is, you know, do we use the L word or not? And that's sort of this classic sort of thing, which we can maybe set that aside because that's a long debate. And then the other one is, you know, to what extent is then a JD and bar admission a requirement for somebody to successfully engage and, in, and get involved in that sort of data and sort of knowledge architecture thing to solve problems for clients and firm structure? So uh, just a word about this. Uh, people are saying now that data is the new oil. Huh. Who are going to be the wildcatters in the law firms of the future? Is it going to be partners or associates? It's going to be whoever has the guts to go do it. Just like the wildcatters of the early oil boom. You didn't have to have a degree in geophysics or anything else. You had to have the guts to go start drilling. Right. Right? And so... This is a place where law librarians will not be invited to participate in the data operations of the firm. They just need to start drilling. Just like oil, law firms are sitting on top of gold. But no one knows how to get at it. That's an excellent metaphor. I think, I think that's absolutely right. I, I actually think the JD might be an impediment. And I, I have one and I practiced in large law for five years <laughs> and at the GC. Um, my old company is proof you certainly don't need the JD to do it. Uh, in fact, most places value the non-JD degrees. I think the librarians are perfectly situated if they want to be the wildcatters. I do think it, it requires uh, a getting out of the comfort zone, and it also requires um, not, not trying to hold all that data as the exclusive um, repository of all that data, which is something librarians, because they're still a little shell-shocked, 
mm -hmm. from the events of 2008 and 2009. They want all information needs to come through the library, and I, and I sympathize with that from an economic standpoint. But in order to effectively use data the way Ed and I know data can be used, you really have to collaborate with lots of other groups, and you have to rely on competencies of other people. That's going to be a new skill that I think librarians need to learn. In terms of the L word, I'll, I'll go out on the limb here uh, and say I actually think we should not be using it. I, think it. I do think it's an impediment. I think it's an Achilles heel to the industry that, because not for any reason that a librarian is at fault, it's it's so laden with historical connotation. It's, it's, right. It's baggage. Yeah. It's got baggage has, on it. See, because if you really understand the meaning of the word librarian, it, it shouldn't be an impediment at all. Great librarians always were the ones who were able to curate and collect and store and and bring the users to information. I mean, that's Rangan Nathan, my hero. But if you think about it to that point, because you guys are all in academia, um, it's a great example. When you, when you ask a person in an academic law library, what do you do? They'll usually tell you whether they're in research or reference. Yeah. And that's how they divide their world, when in fact, information and data, there's dozens and dozens of different roles. So that nomenclature, I think, is, in, is impeding their ability and their willingness to jump in and be a wildcatter. So at the PLL Summit, would you say that that, was this a theme that came up, uh, what we're talking the, about? The overriding theme, whether it's innovative or not, we can quibble, overriding innovation that librarians wanted of 60 ideas on the wall, 15 to 20 were about putting the librarian directly in front of the client, whether that was via no a kidding. portal or via secondment, far and away the dominant theme of the event. One of the big takeaways for me was uh, Eric Press's point, which is that for the most part, in a time of great disruption, uh, lawyers and law firms have not been disrupted, but law librarians have. And that is a very dangerous idea. Um, and the, the real question is, what do you have to do to make sure that you are the windshield and not the bug uh, during this time of great change? Yeah. So what do we have to do? Well, I, I think the, the first thing is really uh, ties back to the point I was making before. If you were sitting on top of gold, start drilling. Yeah, got it. You know, and so one of the things I would say is, uh, you know, for private law librarians, you need to climb the wall. You need to get over into the billing and accounts side which is a place where typically law firm librarians don't go. If you're in a university context, I want to see the logs. I want to know who is using what and where and when and why yep. and how much. But the, the, the big overarching idea here is, as David said, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and you've got to put yourself in places where you haven't been. And again, this is not like you're not going to receive a screen printed invitation just like no one invited wildcatters to go start drilling in West Texas. Right. You just got to put a well in the ground. Yep. You know, and so this does require a fair amount of personal initiative. But, uh, and although that feels kind of risky, it is much less risky than sticking with what you've got right now. Let me offer another, another thought there, because it's got it. Um, if I think back to my prior business where I was in outsourcing, I would say, even, even from a sales perspective, when we spoke to our clients, and they weren't librarians, but they were internal people at law firms and at GC's offices, better than 50% of our conversations had not, nothing to do with the sale or procurement of the services we provided. They were, uh, it was a mutual education back and forth. We were educating our client and we were learning from our client. I'm mean, nodding, I suspect the same is true. 
with him. What we find is because of the retrenchment of, of libraries as, a, as an industry, there's a tendency to vendorize us and want to merely talk about price or what we offer. The conversation should be much more about what can we learn from one another. Yeah. Everyone who works for our organization knows the legal industry, yet we, I find ourselves getting pushed by our clients at the library level to want to talk about merely what can you sell us and how do I get the lowest price. There's an awful lot to learn on both, on both sides. So on, on that point, um, I'd love to know, especially thinking about where it's basically day one, like the, the first full day of the conference here. There's still a time in the exhibit hall floor. You guys are both here. You both have teams of people here. What should we be engaging you on? I don't want to talk about price. I don't want to talk about, you know, tchotchkes. I want to know, like, what are the new, innovative, interesting things that if somebody comes to your booth, you want them to know or you want to hear from us that you're thinking about or what's on your mind? I'll and I'll let first. you go yeah. first. So, uh, I had a great conversation like that today. Uh, we were going over Fastcase 7, the new version of Fastcase, and someone said, uh, that's really interesting. But instead of talking about price or about, you know, what does this button do, uh, this very smart librarian said, you know, one of the things that um, this doesn't quite yet do, but that would be really interesting, is this feature right here. Or a problem that our firm has over and over again is this. Um, and how can you help solve that? And, uh, you know, I think that I hate the word vendor. Um, I think it creates a kind of us versus them thing. And in this world, whether we like it or not, we are all vendors. Law schools are selling something to people. Law firms are selling something to people. Legal publishers are selling something to people. There's not a, a we or the sort of thing. We're all sort of vendors in that. I, I would like to have law librarians treat this more like a partnership. And you know, the best interactions we have are when someone says, hey, look, I've got a problem. I don't know that your service exactly solves it, but how can we work together to solve it? So an example of that is a, a you know, Fortune 10 firm that we work with. Um, you know, good friends, very smart people came to us and said, we're having trouble understanding trends for uh, our clients. Can you help us to mine Pacer to understand those trends better so that we can see forward instead of just looking back? And that's not something we at all have done in the past, but over the course of the last year now, we've begun mining Pacer with them, you know, together, okay. collaboratively, yep. to solve a problem their clients don't even know they have. Right. Man, I love that conversation. Yeah. You know, when you get right. out in the blue sky stuff, that's yeah, fantastic. I want to I yeah. contrast that. Go, go ahead, Ray. Well, I was going to say, you know, there's an interesting um, uh, image kind of emerging. You know, you were talking about um, getting rid of the word librarian and um, maybe that isn't uh, meaningful anymore. They start, when you think about it, practice of law is about uh, processing information. That's right. Anyway. That's right. So maybe lawyers is, or the, the role of lawyer is going away in the same sense that the role of librarian. Maybe um, the profession of librarians and the profession of lawyers are kind of merging and becoming the you know a single sort of entity or process that's getting the the services the information to the right clients to the you know to the clients to the right agency to the right organization helping them process it and thinking about maybe what we're talking about is a holistic approach or a conversion in law the what? practice of law which 
includes librarians. I mean, it's funny you say that because when well, you first hang said... on a second, I got we this this high voice is not Roger. <laughs> this, is, this is Sarah Glassmeyer, um, soon to be at. Can I say it? Yeah. Oh yeah. At Harvard. Um, leaving, you're leaving Cali? Leaving Cali and going to be Harvard uh, Fellow in the Library Innovation Lab and affiliate of Berkman Center. Yeah, very smart woman and a longtime panelist here, one of the originals. And um, Longtime listener, not will, the first time caller. Will you no. LOL yeah. in the LIL? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, oh, I just yeah. had to introduce before we switch yeah. voices. So we and we do have actually have an audience. Yeah. Say hi, everybody. Right. <laughs> so when you first said, are we going to use the L word, I thought you meant lawyer. There's a lot of L words. Because if I'm dealing with a big data problem and I go, like, I don't want someone that couldn't take math and that's why they went to law school. I, you know, I'm thinking there is going to be a new data legal information scientist that is going to be client facing, that is going to be handling these problems that traditional lawyers traditional librarians maybe can't get. Um, and also not just in the big law context. I mean, this is also something I think, you know, small law, we're talking more about having front-facing web-based interfaces that, because a lot of people who can't afford an attorney, really, they just want some basic information, but librarians can't provide it due to practice, unauthorized practice of law issues. So you need an attorney there as the front-facing <laughs> part of this. So there is going to be a librarian-lawyer partnership, I think, at all levels of law, not just big law, but also small law that will be facing client-facing as well. So Sarah sort of sees the lawyer as the fence for legal information. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so so let, me, let, me frame, let me frame that differently, and then I want to, talk, I want to contrast. Uh, let me do the contrast first, then I want to address that question. Sarah. So we, we were having a conversation with someone at an extremely innovative firm, a well-branded firm around innovation, showing them a workflow tool that we are widely known for. We spent tons and tons of Mike Bloomberg's money on workflow stuff and analytics. And she's telling us she loves it. I love it. It looks great. She goes, and, you know, I assume I could buy one seat of this. When you immediately go to price, yeah. you immediately say to us as whatever you want to call us, vendors or partners, or anything else, you immediately say to us, I'm just a procurement person. Mm -hmm. Right? We will move into sales mode, and frankly, we will get around you. We will do it. Right? We have that's what we're that's what we're all funded to do. Right? By our funders, or in my case, by Mike Bloomberg. That's not where we want to be. We want to be in a conversation. We don't actually go there. Right? We're talking about the value proposition. We're talking about how it works. So it contrasts. Right? What we want is the feedback. Tell me you don't like it. Tell me you like it. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me what you, as a knowledge professional would prefer what outcome you want, or tell me what the lawyer, right, the fence wants. The reaction was, can I buy one writ? Immediately went into procurement <laughs> mode because, because of this shell shock. So I think we've got to, we've got to get out of that cycle. Well, I, and that's of, fascinating. Like, I need workflow, but only one person is going to do person. work. And I want, which, by the way, which, and when you, tell that, when you say that to us, right, and this is a firm I know, I know has north of 500 lawyers, right? Yeah. What it says to me is, I don't want to let the lawyers get, because I, I want to, I want to maintain control over this information, as opposed to saying, let's talk about the product, let's be in a conversation like adults in an industry. As to, as to your point there, I think this is something I spent 10 years thinking about at Pangea 3, right, which outsourced legal work to India and by definition yeah. could yeah. not practice law. I, because everyone counts on me saying something controversial, this notion of practice of law is bullshit. I, I hear it over and over and over again. The, there's so many things. 
And if you don't believe me, go look at the revenues that are absolutely legal revenues of Deloitte and KPMG and Ernst & Young. Right? Yep. Intuit. It, TurboTax. Everyone yeah. is in, into it. So the notion that the library or the KM suite can't somehow engage with a client or can't somehow be in the provision of information is, is, is I actually think it's silly, but the, the lawyers have tons of people writing advice. When I was a kid lawyer in 1994, you, had, you needed a blue sky question, you called the blue sky paralegal and we'd put her on the phone with the client. What right. is different? Well, and, and it, I mean, in a, in a more academic level, there's, um, it goes back a few years, but um, somebody had done a, a um, study of, granted, just looking at decided cases, but looking at the UPL question, and basically they came out and said, this is chicken little. Like, there's no sky that's falling, right. and Nothing. nobody has ever had a problem with that. Though the private law firms countered to say, yes, we've never had a decided case, because to the extent that there was a problem, we had to deal with that in sort of a, a, a private sort of market situation. To, to, but to give you a flavor, Roger, of, of why I feel so strongly about this issue, when I had my prior business, mo money is how you can usually answer the question, right? I insured against this. I actually had an insurance policy because I needed it. I needed an opinion from Jeffrey Hazard, who's the foremost guy on the ethics of this stuff. There's a few of these, but Jeffrey's up there. And I had to get an insurance policy written by a major carrier that we weren't engaged in UPL. It was not that hard to get that policy and it wasn't expensive. Okay. So somehow they can insure against it. I, I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I think if the insurance companies are willing to write policies, they don't. They think this is chicken little also. Yep. Can I add one thing to that? And then, yes. So what's the impact? If you have tight UPL laws and tight UPL regs, what you end up with is less access to justice, right? right? Less access to legal services. You have fewer people who are able to get good quality legal assistance. And sometimes that is for people who are indigent, sometimes it's people in the middle class, sometimes it's for companies who want advice but just think it's gonna to be too expensive to get it well. So if you liberalize those UPL laws, what you should have is greater access to justice. And I think it's a good reminder, you see this now over the last maybe six months. William Hubbard at the ABA, some forward-looking bar associations like the Washington Bar have said, unauthorized practice of law exists to protect clients, not to protect lawyers. And the more we do that, the more we regulate the uh, outcomes and the actual uh, advice given, and the less we worry about who is actually giving the advice, the more we worry about protecting consumers, the better off we're going to be across the board. Well, and we can look to you know places like Washington State where you get these limited um, technician kinds of situations. Triple where, LTs, exactly, right. that's right. Um, okay, I'm going to jump in here. We have to um, uh, introduce a couple of people and um, like to that loving this discussion, and I hope. Are you enjoying being here and you don't have to run back? <laughs> Have a great time. There okay, we go. There's only one answer to that. Keep you with your time, time, but it's Ed, Ed and I were told there would be beer, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. okay. no. Well, we didn't know what there was going to be in the way of refreshments uh, when we came in either, So, uh, but we're going to try to remedy that by tomorrow. So you, you were more than welcome to come back. And actually, what I understand, Ed may have... Uh, surplus. <laughs> right, I'll bring beer next time. I heard that you got the, the hospitality suite ended early. 
uh, earlier than we expected. Yeah. All right. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. In any case, yeah. So um, uh, Pablo uh, Arredondo from uh, Case Text also just walked into the room. I I saw him kind of, but but he's always like that. He's always kind of hopping up and down. You can bring a chair <laughs> if you can. You have to kind of decouple them. Yeah. And, and, and then um, he wanted to say something, but but. We um, do we do have some guests in the audience, and, and just to address something, David, that, that you said, David, earlier about um, uh, reference librarians without uh, uh, law degrees. We have a couple. Eric, you don't have a law degree, do you? What you you did get a law degree? Okay, let's see. Anyway, um, <laughs> Meg does not. Who is one of the super? You what? Yeah, but, right. but, but the point is, she is really a good reference librarian and in perf living proof. What? And at Harvard. And at Harvard. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that was the point. Make right. Cripple, who has also been a, uh, a panelist in, in the past, so thanks very much. So that's evidence. You know, law degree you don't, don't need in order to be a good reference uh, person. But Pablo um, is from uh, Case Text. And I don't know if you uh, yeah. might have something to say. Oh, well. <laughs> right. so why don't you introduce and, and then yourself? You know and then everybody? Yeah. yeah, you know everybody. Good. Uh, you, you know Ed, and and you just shook hands. So I, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, just like guess first, thank you guys for having me. Uh, yeah. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, uh, my name is Pablo Arredondo, and uh, I'm a fellow at the Stanford Center for Legal Informatics and vice president of legal research at Case Text. Uh, Case Text is basically trying to uh, leverage uh, and galvanize the expertise of the legal community and profession uh, to build a better legal research product. Um, so obviously to be at a conference like this where you have a very dense uh, community uh, really uh, showing just the kind of passion and expertise that you would need uh, to do this uh, is very exciting uh, for me. So yeah. I, I have a question well, that... You, uh, and, and I just thought of sure. another thing. We, we blew our protocol. Um, we we do need to throw out a reference question to, or a, a trivia question to oh. our yeah. non-vendor, um, well, whatever you want to call it. So is this for Pablo? Huh? Or is this for the audience? For the audience. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. For and, the librarians. Is, um, okay, so all all of you, put on your thinking hats. Um, uh, and we're going to keep a tally on how well the vendors are doing versus everybody else. All right, here we go. Um, this is uh, for anybody in the audience here. Uh, again, vendor-neutral uh, questions for the most part here. Uh, what is the rule that requires some contracts to be written? Anybody? Abroad. Hey, thank you very much. All right. Now this is for the audience as well, and anybody here at the table. Uh, what well-known sportscaster is also a member of the bar? These and then these are just to be on it. This is copyright 1986. Okay. Well-known sportscaster, also a member of the bar. I know, well, Chris, uh, Chris from Collinsworth. Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, exactly. Harvard, I, I think Harvard. I heard it with my own eyes, right? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so. Did he go to Harvard? Excellent. All right, last one, and then we should get back yes, to, uh, um, okay, what is the origin of the word cop? Uh, it's a copper from the badge that uh, British police officers wore. You know, I think that might be apocryphal according to this, but we can we can question the authority of <laughs> this L word. Another L word, I tell you, I'm not even going to say it out. L E X something. Um, uh, anybody else? A second guess on um, on cop? Come on, Dan. No, that was the, the copper was the first answer here. 
All right. So he, according to this, it's an acronym for Constable on Patrol. So there we go. I like All right. Yeah. So turning to the the, yes. the conference here, I have um. You mean serious? Stuff? Uh, serious stuff? Well, okay, you don't want to talk serious? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I have some. I have a question. Uh, you had you were just um, speaking on a panel on innovation and things like that, and um, and one thing that Hastext like has as part of its mission and part of the um, the sort of core of content is is community contributions. Right. Um, in the past, we've had LexisNexis, Council Connect. We've had Martindale Hubble to try, try to do some community-built things. We've had Presidant to try to do things where people were rating on things and stuff like this. And we had um, FedThread was another one that's come out. Right. These, I mean, just to cut to the chase, and it's a little crass, they all failed. Right. There was no crowd to make a crowd-supported um, product. Why did they fail, and, and what are we missing? Like, what, what will it take to get a crowd to actually create something that's meaningful and changes the world. Right. Well, I mean, I, I certainly uh, don't want to speak to each individual company and what's right. going on with those, but I do think that the trend uh, in the technology that actually facilitates this stuff happening and uh, is certainly advancing with each generation. Um, and the other thing I think what really is required is for lawyers uh, as a whole uh, and law librarians, I think, sort of include you know the entire legal profession to understand uh, the power of a system like this. Uh, and to have a system set up that where their incentives are aligned with the overall system, if you will. And uh, I think uh, certainly our work is cut out for us in that, and we have no illusions that it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but if you look at the success of uh, systems like this in computer science, for instance, where you have something like Stack Overflow, um, it certainly can be done. And uh, when it is done, it's fantastic. One thing that I had, had seen, I wasn't at the PLL Summit, but I had seen mentioned, um, and this was, I think maybe Eric Press had said it, was that publishers' biggest competitors are potentially the law firms themselves. I mean, they're the ones that, like, now they need to differentiate themselves. They need to be creating information products. And, I mean, I wasn't at the summit. I don't know if I'm taking that out of context, but A, what do you think? And B, is that, like, is that crazy? Um. I guess as a publisher, and we're a legacy publisher, I don't think so. Um, if you sit still as a publisher and you think, okay, we're in the information business only, um, sure. In, in theory, um, number one, the reason they're not they in distribution, they don't have the reach. So where the running joke at Bloomberg DNA is, is every large law firm, every law firm, in fact, is a client. Where, so we have reach and distribution. So we're not, I don't think so. Um, but also good publishers, have evolved just as li librarians are evolving what it means, we've evolved what it means to be a publisher. So, so the vast majority of what we're doing today and others are doing is, is in tools and workflow and technology. So it's no surprise to look who bought us at Bloomberg, which is big into data and technology and analytics. Um, the, the information, right, in theory, Google's the biggest competitor to everyone, but, but it's not curated and there's no analysis. So I don't think the public... And it's not very good. It's not very good. And that was actually the, the CI panel. If those of you went to the competitive intelligence panel, um, that's exactly what they talked about, the danger of, of Google, the things that are missing from, from Google. Uh, uh, from a business perspective, I don't think the publishers think that. I do think that that big law firms, I actually think this is where you're seeing a, a stratification, maybe even a bifurcation, where you have... Law firms that are so large they can behave like corporations, you know, your Dentons and your, and your, your DLAs, where 
they can organize information, they can displace commodity publishers. Uh, and the bigger, I actually think the bigger threat is when those law firms do that, the amount of information they can pump out for free relative to other law firms will over time make them a go-to resource for non-clients. And that's, that's a threatening position. If you're a six or 700 lawyer firm and a behemoth publishes things about everything, even if it's, even if it's the firm's view on that, suddenly they're in front of your client the way you're not. In Bloomberg, um, one of the features you've got the the brief bank, you know, in the the memos and things. Is that um, from, from academics? We we don't have a real good sense of how valuable or or used that is. And Fastpace doesn't have. You do. So is that a growing part or a significant part of? Bloomberg B&As and Fastcase's businesses? Uh, I'll speak for us. It's growing. I would say if you look at our strategic roadmap, which, by the way, we're fairly public about. There's no secrets, and, and probably you're public about yours because the, the trick is in executing, not, not, in, not in where we're going. It's how we get there. Uh, it, we, you wouldn't see that highest on our strategic roadmap. Um, very useful information. We also get a lot of insights. We get practitioners to write about specific topics. Um, they're useful because they're very well written. Um, and they're very careful. Um, there are some issues around, so searchability is an issue, some kind of really mundane issues around, can you find them, can you, you know, the data is not normalized. <coughs> Even if it all were, we're focused on other areas that our clients at the library, at the lawyer level, at the C-suite, if, if I had to stack rank the top five, it wouldn't be on the top five. There'd be five other things. Okay. But I do think for attorneys, sort of litigators in the trenches doing legal research, briefs are increasingly useful. I don't think it's an accident that they're one of the most expensive databases on Westlaw and Lexis. Unfortunately, the recent ABA study that looked at behavior, I don't think they teased apart briefs as opposed to other sort of documents, so we weren't able to get like sort of that exact data. Um, based on folks that I've talked to, they've all sort of want briefs. And what we've done is built a system where anyone can drag and drop a PDF of their brief it will automatically be ingested into the system, the sites will be data mined, and then it will be linked to the sites directly. Um, and we've added, I think, now up to 8,000 briefs in that manner. Um, so briefs are something we really should be able to crowdsource very quickly. Um, this is you, you, right yeah, I'm separating, by the way, briefs from sort of law firm memos. Law firm memos are once in briefs. We, we at, at Bloomberg Bain A view the docket. Right, yeah. And they are it's, a, it's an instrument in the process of legal proceeding. That's what I, I may mix up the terms. I was talking about the memos. Go ahead, and then I think I had a for litigators yeah. from a docket, and there it's all about the, the normalization of that data, yeah. and, that, and that the technology becomes hugely important. And to return, though, to your original question about the publishers sort of as, uh, being challenged by the firms and the content that they're putting out directly, I think that also relates to your first question to me, which was sort of what's changing. And I think now is a time where law firms are on their own producing a huge amount of analysis and putting it out there as part of their branding. I think uh, Kevin O'Keefe has recently written about the rise of blogs. Um, so a lot of the content that we're able to pull in right now is not that we had to incentivize anyone. They're doing it themselves, and we just had to build the technology to link it. Right. So I think that that's another trend that you've seen. Excellent. Yeah, and let me just add one thing about uh, the idea of kind of law firms as competitors to publishers. Um, I don't think of it as a competition. I think of it kind of like uh, the way software has evolved over the last 20 years. If you think about 20 years ago, software was published by a relatively small set of software publishers. It was a Microsoft and Intuit and a handful of people who Symantec 
who wrote software in the world. But the universe was relatively small, kind of like legal publishing has been historically. Um, but then you have these transformational periods where everything changes. I, I sort of draw this back to the original iPhone. When the first iPhone came out, when Apple first opened the platform, uh, suddenly the number of people who were publishing software exploded. And it was no longer the biggest software publishers in the world who had all the hits locked up. You had Zynga and you know, game publishers and uh, Dropbox and all these other companies that suddenly had a platform for innovation that made the world of software publishers much larger. And that doesn't disrupt Microsoft. Microsoft and Google and Apple are still very big publishers, but uh, the market is bigger. And so they're able to sell much more to consumers than they were in the past. And I think we're going through exactly that kind of time right now for legal publishing. It has been a relatively small group of voices in the past. You have kind of institutional voices in courts and legislatures. You have legal publishers who publish treatises that are authoritative about the law. And then you have these kind of dark web conversations between law firms and their clients that sort of don't show up on the grid. But this generation of the internet, where you have groups like Case Text and others who are opening up new platforms, allows a much richer conversation. And so now, instead of a small group of people who are publishing with those voices, you have an explosion of people. That doesn't mean that there's not a place for institutional speakers like courts and legislatures or authoritative treatise authors or like a BNA where they have like some of the most important and you know, well uh, thought out treatises for specific areas of the law. But it will mean there'll be more people in the conversation. I do think, as your point, I think you're right. I want to layer on it to the extent this is controversial. It shouldn't be to the extent you're going to have a growth in the number of publishers. I think you got it, Ed, but it's going to be the case text and the fast cases that win as new entrants, not as law firms, because of the, I hesitate to say the innovators dilemma, it's not quite that, it's that a law firm, their day-to-day -day bread and butter is made somewhere else, right? So it is, it's highly unlikely that the, the um, addition of new players to the ecosystem is going to come from law firms which have a, a very good model that they actually want to stay in. That was actually one of Eric's big themes was, do not cry for partners at large law firms. It a, remains a plenty good business to be in. Right. So, so also, it, something occurred to me, you know, as they explode, a lot of them are very, very specialized in what they're doing, what they're accomplishing. Right. But as, uh, so as Hein develops something that's attractive or useful to Passcase or Bloomberg, if, if they start uh, collaborating in bits and pieces, you can put on a cynical sort of spin on it and think, oh my God, you know, it, we're having fewer competitors because they're eating each other up. But if, if they're not eating each other up but uh, playing together and helping build new things, um, that could be truly exciting, well, and I think you know, in, in coming yeah. up with products that neither entity could do all on their own, but build on the expertise of the individual groups and come up with incredible new The, the other thing to remember is uh, assuming oh they work God. together or don't work together, um, like in all industries, statistically most, most of them will fail. Right? And, and I think that you know that I'm I'm encouraged and really gratified by the by the rise in the legal startup publishing and otherwise. 
having been through it and, and come out the other side. But the reality is in almost every industry, you can pick your stat, it's somewhere north of 90% fail. And we could argue, is it, is it 95, is it 99%? So if you look at traditional publishing, right, what's sort of the success story in news in particular, outside of the league world, is probably Huffington Post, right? That, that really has become a mainstream, widely read, credible. But if you were to go back 10 years, 15 years, and look at the proliferation of publishers on the web, and look at how many made it yeah. that are what, yeah. it's a tiny, tiny number. The same thing's going to happen in law, and that's okay. It's, we're not going to be the exception where 50% of the new entrants make it, but it will, it will affect an enormous amount of change. The good news is this is probably the first period in law where there have been any start, real startups. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. In, in, doing, in doing new stuff, not the yeah. same old stuff in new... Right new uh, bindings and stuff I, like that. What Ed said about the apps I really like because it also touches on another important thing. Community sourcing is not just about adding analysis and curation. It's also functionality that can be uh, community sourced. So Richard had a great idea uh, a while back about having a filter uh, where your results would be filtered down to only those cases which have appeared in at least one law review article. Right? That's the kind of functionality that I think law librarians think about and would sort of say, why don't they have this? And there's just as much opportunity to community sort that, those sort of ideas and integrate that into a system. So I think the apps, uh, just like now our phones don't just make phone calls, they can listen to songs and know what's playing. Right. In the yep. same way, I'd love to see a legal research engine that really reflects all of the collective ideas we've had about functionality. Oh, let me just okay. say one more thing. So, uh, very quickly. Last thing. Uh, in, in the idea that you'll have a lot more voices, I think you will be able to see a couple of specialized law firms coming out with treatises that are authoritative for their sphere. You might have, like, the Wilson Sonsini Guide to Startup Law. You might have the Littler Guide to Labor and Employment. Yeah, Labor and Employment. And so, uh, they're able to uh, sell their services into the biggest companies in the world. They don't really have the reach to get into a restaurant in Philadelphia, right? But the restaurant in Philadelphia has those same issues. There's no reason why you couldn't use these platforms to publish and to reach farther down the long tail to give a firm that has an expertise uh, greater reach. Is there a reason to think that uh, a commercial publisher is going to have a better treatise on labor and employment than Littler or a better startup treatise than uh, Wilson Sonsini? I think that you know the law firms could give any commercial publisher a run for their money if they were motivated to share that expertise down the chain. Not in a way that eats their own lunch, right. but in a right. way that expands their market. And I, I think it would be great to have more voices in that conversation. Law firms, lawyers, librarians, information publishers, data scientists, up and down the line. And I, I will uh, bet anybody that if you look five years down the road, you're going to have a much richer conversation with a lot more people talking, and we'll have a lot more uh, insight coming from what we read. Well, and I think the spectacular thing with that is that this is additive. It's not substitutional. So more voices, more resources, more conversations. I think it's, it's spectacular, and we should be doing that. And, and to your thought about you know, what are the resources that they're using in Philadelphia and the restaurants, I'd like to take the last couple of minutes here to turn it away from this serious and, and ex extremely useful conversation and talk about restaurants in Philadelphia. We're here in Philadelphia. <laughs> people have, nice people have an interest in doing fun things. I'd like to know from each of you, what's your favorite restaurant? Or you're here, you've all been to Philadelphia before, you've been here multiple times. 
what should people know? Pats or Genos is the first question. Cheese whiz or not? And then more importantly, what else are we missing? Because those are stereotypes and we want to look beyond that. I'll ask you first. You're the Philadelphia. Yeah, um, so I'm going to give a shout out to Giorgio on Pine. We went uh, on Friday night. It's BYOB, although they gave us a bottle. Uh, best Italian food I've had in probably three years. Giorgio, um, Giorgio on Pine. The owner's terrific, but it is BYOB. Um, so I spent from the 80s into 1994 here. I was a Geno's guy, and, and I'll probably get beat up in the hall. Um, <laughs> there's no discussion over it. It's got to be with Wiz. Okay. Um, and your choice is whether you're going to get it with onions, peppers, or, or not. Got it. Excellent. So I, I actually lived in Philadelphia for one year before law school, uh, working at Penn on a project on genetically modified organisms. And we had a conference where we thought, what would the top chefs of Philadelphia think about all this? So uh, I was delighted to get to go around and try to you know, introduce to these yeah. guys and hang out at some of their restaurants. Uh, Susanna Foos uh, is very good. Uh, now, again, I, I hope they're still around based on the status of the chefs. They should be. Um, Susanna what Foos is it called? Susanna Foos. Susanna. Foos, F-O-O-S, I believe. And then uh, there's a restaurant called Passion, uh, P-A-S-I-O-N, uh, that's also uh, quite delicious. If you're really feeling like spending a lot of money, uh, Lebec Fenn uh, is Georges George Perret, I think is his name. Uh, oh, closed. I'm so sorry. All right. That's all. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, those first two, solid, solid restaurants. Excellent. Ed? Uh, I'm going to uh, play to my strengths here, and I'm going to say... Um, as for restaurants, um, I am going to plead ignorance, but I will say that the best coffee I've had around here uh, is across the street at Old City Coffee uh, in the market. We're getting a thumbs up in the audience, Old uh, City Coffee. Which is right. fantastic. I believe that a good cup of coffee should be like a punch in the heart. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, I remember when you and I were walking around D.C., one of the places as we were walking and talking, you took me to a, uh, and we had a double espresso, yeah. and it did. So Old City, right across from the convention center, uh, in the market, is uh, is like uh, someone hooking electric cables to your earlobe. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. <laughs> and that's a good experience. Yeah, and a good okay. way. Oh, good. About anybody in the audience got yeah. a suggestion? What do we have? Eric. There's a restaurant called La Forna. La Forna? Yeah. La Forna? Okay. I'm saying that louder here so we can hear it on the recording. Um, South Street. La Forna, excellent. And then there was another one that we went to last night called Rex 15, and that's also on South Street. Rex and South Street. Excellent. Meg, any? All right. Yeah, we ate at the Kitty and I, and this is not where Oh, Bank and Bourbon, which is next door to the. All right. No, dinner was amazing. Dinner is amazing at Bank and Bourbon. Excellent. Two of my favorite things. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I I like it exactly. Yeah, you can bank on good bourbon there. That's good. (laughs) Any any last closing thoughts um, here at the conference? You're looking forward to. um, About everybody go to the keynote. Yeah. Thumbs up. Who, who cried at the Mori Stendak? I started crying earlier. Yeah, I wiped yeah. the tear away. I so this was just, just for the audience there, because a lot of people weren't um, here. It was Terry Gross who was the uh, keynote speaker. It was like a breath of something. Yeah, fresh. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was spectacular, and this is where I think this is just a good takeaway for, for anybody talking to librarian audiences, 
don't pander. And yeah. there is not an ounce of pandering in this thing. Yeah. I don't care if your grandmother was a librarian. I don't care if you love books. Oh. Engage on something that's meaningful and from the heart, and that's what she did. And she swore a little bit, too, which is kind of fun. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. It, there, there's somebody on the line who's been there for a while. Let, let's see if they actually are just listening or if they want to say something. So be prepared. Uh, 862 eight, 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 area code. Uh, okay, I'm picking up right now. Are you um, just listening or do you have actually a question? Are you still there? They're on mute. Okay. All right. I'll take that as a no. Okay. All right. All right. A couple of other things I wanted to mention are our panelists way over on the far right, Marcia Doherty Baker. Oh yeah. Was a member of the the winning team for the hackathon. Yep. Do you want to? Yeah. You flip the mic over there so that you, you want to tell us what you're. Briefly, yeah. So basically, we decided to. Uh, wait, wait, and and do you want the vendors here to sign something before you? <laughs> <laughs> you guys do something. Be cool. Uh, what, what, we kicked around a lot of ideas for an hour and a half and wasted some time and decided what we wanted to do was visualize data. Uh, everybody wants to see something. It makes more of an impact. There's a ton of data out of there, so out there. So what could we do? So I worked with a group from Rutgers and Villanova, and we took the popular names table from the U.S. Code, uh, downloaded that data, and then turned it into a website where you can actually visualize the impact that public law has by how many sections are attached to it. What we'd like to do after this, we get the, the website done, which is probably why we won. We actually had a finished project at the end of the day with branding <laughs> and a name. It's, it's blog, P-L-A-U-G, public law, um, something visual, maybe. <laughs> we, we have a lot of very inappropriate names for this as well, so that's the one that made it. Um, but what we'd like to do is be able to graph it to give a timeline. So when students go, I wasn't around in the 70s, what was that? Um, you could actually look at the the public law by the popular name table, and then it would show kind of the impact that has, and then how it is uh, basically kind of moving along through time, and then everything uh -huh. else it touches. So it was a it was a nice visual way to to take a look at that. We didn't get that far. It was a lot of fun. I have faculty who are having a hackathon at our law school, so I thought I should participate. One thing I did note is you have to have the appropriate number of programmers to librarians to make a successful project. And we had that, so it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, good. great, good experience. Visualize well, that timeline, fun. you say. Yeah. No bubbles involved. Joining us, uh, uh, luminary uh, of our <laughs> profession, uh, Ken Hirsch, um, and who was actually next on my list, whether you were here or not. I was going to mention that tonight's the big night. Do you want to give us a preview? Do you want to just do a solo of Matt and I? KFK. I do the microphone. from allergies all weekend. So oh, I, God. I have to save it, it for later. You, you know about. You, Besides, you, you, you don't have. new to the, to the conference. You know about karaoke with Ken? I, I don't, but I'm always interested in karaoke. It's a guy who's toned up. Okay. So. All right. Well, so well, I think we can't really do it here anyway because you're probably not ASCAP or BMI licensed. Karaoke <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Ken started in 1997 informally and in 2001 became an official 
social event of the CSSIS. It will be this evening at 9 o'clock at McGillan's Old Hill House. Is that part? 1310 Drury Street. It's an alley on just off of 13th, roughly two blocks south of the Marriott. Yeah. Starts at 9 p.m. Expecting a rather large group. We typically run 60 to 75 people. An awful lot of the new folks have said they're coming tonight. Yeah. All right. Website and everything, right? Yep. It has a website. Chat room. It's it's one of the events that you just shouldn't miss it. It's um it's really a Rich has some Johnny Cash there. I fell into a burning ring of fire. No. Okay, that's good. I think, I think we have about two minutes till the top of the hour here. I want to thank all of you for coming out, everybody on the audience, things like that. Um, this is wonderful. Four this is a great conversation. Oh, four minutes and ten seconds. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I'm wrapping up early. <laughs> Does anybody else have any? Oh, I, I just wanted to put in a shameful, shameless plug. Um, everybody should definitely try to drop by the Hind booth at 11.30 tomorrow for the announcements about uh, we're going to be showing the beta version of National Survey of State Laws online yeah. finally yeah. has come out of uh, retirement or whatever. What, and and um, maybe we what can else? What, what, other what else is there? What other things? So come back tomorrow. You can get a talk tonight. Yes. We'll yep. be here tomorrow. Be here uh, Tuesday. Tomorrow at 7.45 in the morning, uh, there'll be a coffee talk uh, doing about teaching students citators uh, and combating their over-reliance on oh, citators. Oh, boy, that'll really keep yeah. people awake. Nothing yeah. like getting up at 7.45 in the morning for that. So what was try the to coffee place in Ready Market? I'll be getting that. Citators are hot this conference. Yeah. They so, are, so, I tell you. Aaron Kirschenfeld's uh, Fifty yeah. Shades <laughs> of Yellow. Paper right. Early <laughs> I, have quick, up on the I have a quick song uh, for you. I have a quick song for our, in honor of our nominees for for president, vice president, president elect. Who? What's that? A little ditty about Greg and Diane. <laughs> <laughs> librarians in the heartland. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know that you were here earlier to know uh, our tradition. Now, it's now been a tradition for oh, exactly no. like 40 minutes. Oh, minutes. Yes, you get right. you are going to be asked questions. Yes. We had yes. a correction from Twitter that Howard Cursell went to NYU. Oh. oh. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to scratch that one out. All right. Okay. I'm ready. Lay it on me. Okay. Um, now, these were marketed in what year? So I can 1986. Okay. So there's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Of what crime was um, Fatty Arbuckle acquitted after three trials? Right? We get the answer from there. Child oh, molestation. <laughs> okay. Hold on. What American president or presidents have been impeached? Oh, this uh, is 1986. Okay. Two presidents have been impeached, but as the, when did you say the date 1986. on that one? 1986. Only one had been impeached, Andrew Johnson. Now two Correct. have been built. Correct. We need, we need the uh, pocket part to update. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking of citators. Okay. Yeah. Are, we, are, we, are we approaching the end it's, here? It's one minute and 30 seconds. Lightning uh, round. Lightning round. Okay. Uh, here, what was the largest object stolen by a human being? The largest object stolen by a human being. North America? North America? <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> uh, Can I get a 
get a hint? <laughs> we will accept North America. Well, okay. Alternately, the um, SS Orient Trader, a ship in 1966. How about that? Yeah, exactly. All right. Who was assassinated at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station? Chester A. Arthur. Uh, yeah, we get an answer for the audience? Oh, Garfield. Garfield. 1881. Okay. Um, oh. What? Vol- Voltaire said it is better to risk saving a guilty man than to... Exorbitant legal research fees. <laughs> <laughs> Condemning an innocent one. Yes. Or or we will accept pay exorbitant research fees. Oh. Uh, uh, okay. What famous seconds. police department began at four Whitehall Pal- Place? Scotland Yard. Yeah. Governor. Uh, okay. Who portrayed the first woman on the Supreme Court in First Monday in October? Yeah. Yes. Jill Claiborne. All right. Clayburg. 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 Can I actually ask her quick? I'm going to throw in who was yeah. the only Supreme Court justice who was portrayed by another Supreme Court justice in a movie? Oh. What is the answer? Joseph Story was portrayed by Blackman, I believe, in a Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, huh. Fascinating. You're kidding. I, heard, I hope that's Excellent. right. We're done. You'll never find All right. <laughs> in Lincoln. Yay. Uh, I'm Chris I'm so 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 elegant ending to this. I have no idea when it's cut off. Thanks, Pablo. All right. Check that and edit that out. Thank you so much. Hey, congrats on the gig. I'm going to go back and see you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and I want to reach out to you about, um, I'm going to be teaching an advanced advisory course. I was talking about, because I know you've done a project on swing involvement. I'm going to have an answer with that. Very fair and real question. Yeah, well, you know, there's a graveyard. Well, and I'm glad you didn't like it. We're like, it's fair. It really is. Yeah. We're working on it. Excellent.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.